Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Grad Chef from PhD Balance, where we talk about topics of grad school beyond academic research and that may be more difficult to talk about in our day to day. I'm your host, Faye Lin, and I'm a PhD candidate in biochemistry at UCLA. If you like what you see here, check out the PhD Balance YouTube channel for more grad chats, and don't forget to subscribe for notifications about when we go live. Our topic today is disability advocacy in STEM, and I am so excited to talk to our guest, Ariana Castillo. Ariana is a PhD student in Earth and Planetary Sciences at Harvard University, with a focus on atmospheric dynamics, atmospheric chemistry, and climate. She also does part-time research at NASA Langley Research Center studying wildfires missions. In addition to research, Ariana is a huge disability advocate in STEM, and I am so excited because I've been a fan on Twitter for the longest time. So hi, Ariana, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's a bit cloudy, but I'm trying to make the most of it. I have my coffee, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> Ooh, I definitely always need a coffee every morning <laughs> because caffeine gets me going. I need so... like problem. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, so I'm excited. So excited to chat about disability advocacy today. So I think to start out, people are interested in what got you into disability advocacy? What is your personal story that got you into doing this work? That is a fantastic question. Um, so I guess, who would I start? Um, so I was diagnosed with my disabilities in the middle of undergrad. Um, I have always struggled with mental health since I was a kid, um, but just growing up in a religious and also in a Latinx household, mental health and mental illness isn't really discussed. And if someone does have a mental illness, you kind of just keep it under the rug. Um, so just a lot of internalized ableism and denial um, after my diagnosis and um, a huge part of that and my symptoms and why they became so severe was just the culture of STEM in general. Um, you know, working all the time into the late hours of the night, uh, people were very proud of that. I was very proud of, you know, uh, not watching Netflix until like Thanksgiving break or something like that. Um, and so where was I going with this? Um, you know, after my diagnoses, you know, to be clear, I got help because I had to, because I couldn't really function in school um, without medication. So um, I took a lot of convincing for me to go um, and go to the doctor. And so it, it was, you know, my diagnoses wasn't like an automatic change into advocacy overnight. I had to experience a lot of things to get me to that point. Um, and, you know, being sick all the time I would show up to class just like in tears because like I couldn't afford to miss class and so people around me knew something was up um and my undergrad department like they knew something was up um and they were very flexible like if I needed an extension on something or if I had to make an emergency drive back to Austin Texas uh, my hometown to go see the doctor they were really good about that um but the difference is, is that they didn't know how to handle the situation. Um, there were a lot of things 
you know, like ableist things that were said and people feeling the need to insert themselves to tell me what to do with my life and my career when they really had uh, no place to. Um, and it was very lonely, which is why I started going on Twitter and seeking out a community because I felt very, very alone, like in this dark closet and I didn't know where the door was. Um, so yeah, just a lot of ableism and elitism and also just, you know, falling under other marginalization umbrellas, just experiencing those things. And I don't ever want anybody else to hear the comments and things I've experienced. And so um, I was honestly so scared to start speaking out because I thought there would be consequences like, oh, what if I don't get my degree? Uh, what if I'm blacklisted my, by my department? Um, and, you know, I realized, well, there's other people out there who are struggling and I want to do something about it. Um, and so I guess that's like the long story short. Sorry, I ramble off a bit. Um, and we can definitely talk more about getting over that fear and that anxiety of speaking out. Um, but once I found that community of other folks speaking out, that helped me immensely. And just finding that community I found was so important. Right. I hear so many layers to this and so also so many things that I relate to personally as someone who also talks a lot about mental health. And there are these themes of one, how complex it is to seek help. Two, there is so much stigma that makes it really complicated to share your experiences or get the help it once you finally get the strength or courage to get out there and, and connect with people and seek that support. So I think one of the questions that you kind of alluded to already is how do you find the courage to speak about your experiences despite stigma? Yeah, so um, leading up, um, like my mental health got worse after my diagnosis. Um, to the point to where they were life-threatening and I couldn't take care of myself and I had to seek physical like mental help um and that was when I was put into therapy for the first time almost kind of involuntarily and I learned about like like self-advocacy and um what is the word my therapist would use it with me all the time um being very proactive I guess and assertive there's the word um, and I'd never really been assertive before, about, like about myself and vocalizing, oh, like this is what I want to happen. Um, and so that kind of fueled it a bit. And then a bit of my experiences, um, you know, I started small. So I didn't overnight, I didn't start screaming into the void on Twitter, like, academia there's so much ableism in academia like no I started small I started having conversations with other people around me particularly my classmates um, and you know talking about mental health and how that's important and accessibility and ableism just little things here and there and I kind of started building off of that little fire to fire start out small before they grow um, and then, you know, finding that community uh, on disability Twitter and also mental health Twitter on academia, that also fueled that fire. Um, 
And so it doesn't happen overnight. Baby steps are okay. Like it's okay if you just move a little bit each week, each month, like it's totally okay. There's no set equation on how to get started. You have to do what's best for you. Like, I don't want you to be stepping out of your comfort zone and feeling anxious about it. You know, do what's best for you. You have to listen to your body and be like, okay, is this what I want to do right now? Because there's days where I just can't talk about advocacy on Twitter because I'm exhausted. And so that's where that comes in, if that makes sense. So yes, I started small and then I kind of, um, started walking up the stairs a bit more and more and more. Yeah. I love your analogy of it's, it's like growing a fire, adding, adding fuel to a fire, especially when we throw in these communities. Like I can also relate a lot to how Twitter has become such an amazing community of people to connect over things like mental health that are that in person, I found it difficult to find other people who were willing to talk about this stuff and champion advocacy for this stuff. And also themes of, you know, do, do what's comfortable. Again, this is stuff that it can have a lot of stigma to yeah. it and, and navigating that. And it, it sounds like and, and I speak from my personal experience as well, that when I started talking about it, it also gave me a bit more confidence to keep going as you realize that a lot of people do want to talk about this, this stuff. So I guess, is, was that your experience as well? Like, how did you, because I'm a big fan of you on Twitter. You are so open and vulnerable and amazing. How, how did that courage grow or how, where did it come from? Yeah, I think I relate to you a lot. When, whenever you said, whenever you started speaking out, your confidence just started to grow and grow and grow and grow. Um, I mean, I can't say based on, you know, based on my personal experience that, you know, being vocal and vulnerable has been perfect. Um, speaking out, I've had to deal with some things from other people. Um, and, you know, lots of lessons learned. And yeah, it's just, progress is never linear. That's what I always say. Like, I can't always go up and up and up. There's going to be fluctuation. There's going to be variability. And so, I mean, I still struggle with this. Like, oh, am I enough to be vocalizing this? Or am I enough for advocacy? And um it's, it's hard, you know, it's, it's just, it's not super simple. So yeah, finding that confidence did take time. I kind of, therapy's taught me a lot to like, it, it's okay to talk about things and there's stigma. And I've kind of had to shift my mindset to, oh no, people are going to judge me. Like, I'm really scared to okay, people are going to judge me, but people need to be educated about these things. And I can't, me personally, I can't wait around for other folks to do that sometimes, um, you know, because I, I don't, I want people to make sure they're not alone. So it's that mindset. And then also 
Like I know, I know that feeling of being so alone and being in the darkness and not seeing any light and thinking like I'm the only one experiencing this when I know there's other people who are in the dark too that I don't know about. Cause you know, you can't judge someone based on how you see them on social media or in person. And um, I think also that just really um, helped build the fire too. And it helps me uh, have the courage to speak out. <laughs> Sorry, that was a really long answer. It's really complicated. <laughs> it is really complicated. And I, I completely relate a lot because I think a lot of this passion comes from lived experiences and knowing what it's like to struggle with all of these complicated issues that I'm sure we're going to chat about. But just finding connection and letting people know that this is all normal. Mental health struggle is normal and that you are not alone. I think there are huge messages that we often don't get when there is so much stigma. So let's see, we have some questions submitted here in the chat. And one question we have here is, what advice would you give to other disabled people who go into disability advocacy? Find the community that is best for you. Um, this took me a long time. Uh, there's accounts on Twitter. I think I put it on the story yesterday um, that I found have been just so helpful. Um, there's Disabled in STEM. Alyssa runs that page. She's a friend of mine. Fantastic. Um, such a beautiful community there. Disabled in Higher Ed on Twitter um, is fantastic. I can tweet these pages uh, later after the chat. Just I've met so many amazing people. I'm trying not to cry because it's just, the disability community is just so diverse. There's just so many wonderful humans that are getting involved in their own ways um, that works best for them. And so I've learned a lot because I've gotten involved in these communities. And so I think that's a really great way to start finding other folks who've started advocacy a bit early on. And I've learned so much from other people too um, in the disabled community on Twitter. Um, I think that's a huge thing that I wish I knew earlier. And so like, I guess that's just me answering like, oh, if I knew what I wish I knew before, it's just finding that community. Um, I'll, I, I can tweet those uh, pages later so you can find them. But I think that's my main one. Yeah. 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 No, I, I just want to echo that. Find a community of people who also champion this stuff. And I think that relates a lot to my experiences as well, where, you know, this, this is Gratchet from PhD Balance. And I found the amazing PhD Balance community who advocates for this stuff. And now apparently I am hosting grad chats like this, where I talk to amazing people like Ariana and finding a community of people to get this message across. I think one is, at least with helps my own mental health, helps me feel less lonely with things. And it's, it's also incredible to see how far you can go with a community of people. So I just want to echo what Ariana said about finding a community of people if you are interested in, in doing advocacy. And social media is great. <laughs> yeah, amazing, amazing. All right, let's see. Another question we have in the chat says, do you have any advice for applying to programs with a disability? Like, are you 
upfront about your disability is what it says. Yes, so I was in this position a little over a year ago um, and someone also asked this question um, last night, like how did you put a bullet point list together for graduate school and where to apply? Um, so I, like I said, my personal experiences have drastically impacted where I am now in my career. Um, and I was pretty upfront because I've experienced having mentors being very ableist and very ignorant towards my conditions. And I just, pardon my French, I was done with the bullshit and I just wanted to be someone where I felt included and welcome and validated. Um, and so when talking to PIs, well, I narrowed it down by what I wanted to do with my research first. Um, and then I find I found prospective PIs that I'd want to work with. Um, I also found other students in the program to talk to. And I also asked them the very difficult questions like, um, like how ableist is this department? Like very difficult questions. I also have phone calls with my prospective PIs, like phone interviews, I guess. And um, I, I guess I almost quote, like I would tell them, hey, I just wanna be very upfront and very vulnerable with you. Mental health and disability uh, is something I'm very passionate about. And like, I struggle with those th things. Well, I struggle with mental health and I have disabilities. Um, and can you just tell me your perspective on that? Like how, how could you integrate that um, if I was your graduate student and into my work and into my schedule, how would that work for you? And um, you know, some of them were kind of thrown off, um, but PIs need to think about this. Faculty need to think about this because the reality is, is that academia wasn't built for disabled people and it really sucks. And so I kind of had to put myself out there in those probably uncomfortable situations because I want to be somewhere where I know I can thrive. Um, so I hope that helps. And I've learned like, wow, the PAs I was looking at were really cool. <laughs> um, so it, it gave me some hope for academia in my field. So. I think it's good to be upfront because you don't want to be working with someone who won't validate you and encourage you and empathize and be there for you and prioritize your well-being. Yeah, I love it. I think I completely agree that it's important to be transparent about these conversations if you're looking into a potential if it's lab environment to work in. And of course, I also hear themes of being strategic too, because when talking about these things, there's still stigma. There's still people of power who are, when you bring these things up, may unfortunately still look at you differently, which is the most frustrating thing ever. But I think what, it, what the themes I'm hearing are be upfront in a strategic way because it's important to know how how a lab is going to run if you are going to join the lab and I, I love how you mentioned that you know some people were taking it back it sounds like not everyone was uh as comfortable having these conversations were what were your experiences like what what kind of questions did you ask and like 
in those situations where they may have been taken back, what were those conversations like with potential advisors? I think, um, sorry, my brain is having a moment. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think, I don't think, you know, they were shocked because they didn't want to talk about it. I think it was more like, oh, wow, like, you know, this person's being really upfront. Uh, and so, you know, it, there's usually that like couple second pause after bringing it up, like, oh yeah. And they're kind of processing what I just asked or said, and then they continued talking about it. Um, and I guess the questions or how I navigated that was, listening, um, listening with less expectations because sometimes when I have high expectations about things, I tend to be disappointed. <laughs> um, and, you know, listening carefully to their answer and how it would affect me if I worked with them. Um, and the thing is, like you said, I was very strategic and I didn't overshare, um, that's one thing. So I was vulnerable, but not too vulnerable. Um, but I asked specific questions enough to where they're broad applicable to me to where I wouldn't be giving too much away. Does that make sense? Cause stigma is still out there. And um, so, you know, if they answered my question I'd be like, okay, like there's days where I just physically, I can't, <laughs> I can't. My, I can't. And, you know, how does that work? Um, you know, I also talked about uh, my academic journey wasn't very conventional. Um, when I mentioned earlier that I uh, had to seek medical treatment and I was in an outpatient treatment facility for a while, I had to withdraw from school, like my fall semester of my senior year, which meant I had to graduate late. So, you know, talking about that, like, hey, I've struggled in the past, but that doesn't define who I am as a scientist. And, um, you know, just kind of building off on that conversation. And I kind of had to feel um, the conversation based on each person I talked to as well. Um, there's, um, you know, there, there's people you could be more comfortable talking to about this a bit more in depth than others. And so I kind of had to tread the water carefully. I hope that helped. Sorry, <laughs> I rambled again. But. Yeah, no, I think, I think it's great to hear experiences talking to different people because it does vary. Different people have had maybe a different amount of exposure or experience talking about these topics. And sometimes those conversations won't go as smoothly as you like, or even if people are open about it, sometimes it is a bit awkward or difficult. But I think themes I'm hearing is that it's important to just have open dialogue and be someone who can open those doors in a matter that you're comfortable and in a matter that is strategic given the stigma. And I think we've seen how powerful that can be. I mean, if you don't follow Ariana on Twitter already, do it because she tweets such amazing, vulnerable, impactful things that have evidently made such a difference 
So there is so much power in having these difficult conversations. Yes. Awkward pauses are okay. That means they're thinking about it and they probably haven't had to think about it in that context before. So like, I try to rearrange like awkward pauses are good. They're, they're thinking about it. Um, and even if it's just like one conversation, it's a conversation that could lead them to, you know, edu further educate themselves. So yeah, thank you. Made my heart so full. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> All right, let's see. We have more questions here that were submitted from social media. And one of them here says lots of people don't think of mental health conditions as disabilities. How do you deal with those people? There's a lot of stigma. A lot of stigma when it comes to mental health and mental illness. Um, I had a lot of internalized ableism for the longest time. I soaked it in like in my younger years, like a sponge. I love my sponge analogy, so I'm going to use it. Um, after my diagnoses and after seeking treatment, I had to basically, and I still have to do this sometimes. It's not perfect. I'm still learning and still growing. I've had to whack that sponge against the wall to get all of that water out. Um, and so I've struggled with not feeling disabled enough um, because people are still learning, people are still growing. Um, and this is where a lot of my advocacy and my want to educate people comes in. A lot of people do not realize how mental illness and mental health has an impact on the body. A lot of people, based on my experiences and my conversations with people, think it's like, oh, you're just feeling really sad today. Like, you're just going to cry for a bit and you're just really sad. And I'm like, I don't think you realize that, like, yes, my mental illnesses affect how I feel emotionally and mentally, but it's physically draining. It is physically exhausting. It takes a toll on my body. <laughs> um, there are days where my body just can barely move from bed. And I don't think people realize that. Um, you know, a lot of people were so shocked that I was diagnosed with these things and I had to leave school to seek treatment because I smiled and laughed all the time. And I'm like, you know, there's a lot people do not know about mental illness because of stigma. Um, and so if you're struggling with this, because I've struggled with it, I just want you to know, like, you're valid. You belong in the disabled community. Like, the disabled community on Twitter, I'm a part of, welcomes you. I'm a co-founder of um, a Twitter page where we discuss the intersectionalities between mental health and disability and how they relate to each other. One affects the other and the other affects another. Um, and it's just, it's not black and white. Like there's a huge gray area that that really hasn't been discussed before. And so if you've experienced this from other folks, I just wanna say, I'm sorry. Like we're, people are still learning and growing. It's, we have a long way to go, but I just want you to know that you're valid. You're not alone when it comes to like, am I disabled enough? Because I still ask myself this question pretty frequently. Um, but yeah, 
Um, it's a very valid concern and question to have. And like, I feel you, I'm here with you. I can't completely understand because we're all our own unique people with our own experiences, but like, you're not alone in that. Oh, you're muted. Oh no, I'm muted. Hello. Welcome to the 2020 Zoom difficulties. I'm unmuted, I think. But anyway, I was just going to say how you touched upon this great point about this distinction that people make between mental health and physical health and how they're not really seen equally or that a lot of the stigma comes from the fact that when you do have mental health struggle, people often have their minds wrapped around the stereotypes of what that can look like, or if they don't visibly see what mental health struggle can look like, it becomes harder for people to understand. And I just want to also say that, that it is mental health struggle can also be a very physical thing and it doesn't have to look a certain way. So if you are in our audience today, you're struggling with your mental health and you feel like you need to validate that you are struggling. I think a lot of both of our mission, me and Ariana here, want you to know that mental health struggle is real. It's a very normal thing. And it, I think one of the things that we do want to fight is that it needs to be taken more seriously and less, and less stigmatized for sure. And with yeah. that, what one of the questions here says, what changes would you like to see that would make things easier for disabled people in STEM? Oh boy, <laughs> I can write a book about this. Um, okay, I'm trying to organize my thoughts. I think the academic community knows that mental health is an issue. And the thing that just aggravates me so much is um, seeing departments or institutions be like, oh, we prioritize mental health. We really do. Yeah, mental health, like, oh, accessibility. Oh yeah, accommodations, oh yeah. And then cricket, 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 like nothing, they do nothing. Um, and I kind of just see it as like, the system is so broken. There's a whole, like, there's a huge wound here. And the system as a whole thinks that, like, bringing in a therapy dog once a month or having, like, a mental health meeting with the department, these, like, these little band-aids are going to put the whole wound back together when in reality, like, it needs direct medical attention. Like, we need to just start, like, from the bottom and start rebuilding again so we can heal this wound. Um and I think that's just something that has really stuck with me. Like, yeah, those meetings aren't going to cut it. The therapy dog or the meditations. I'm so, this is just my opinion. Sorry. Um, I don't think that's going to cut it. Like it, it's, it's deep rooted in how the system was built. Um, and it wasn't built for with mental health and um, disabilities in mind. And so um yeah, I think I could talk a whole lot more about this, but uh, yeah, I, <laughs> um, it's a lot. Like there's, there's, 
I don't even know where to start with what there is to be done. And that's why I'm just so thankful for my communities because, you know, there's been moments where I feel like, oh, am I doing this alone? Like, I can't do this by myself. But like I said, the importance of community is so great because there's other folks around you who are passionate about these things. And also like not having friends who are as passionate about these things for a while and then finding those communities made me realize like, there's a, there's a movement going on. Like when once you step in those communities and meet those amazing people who are fighting right beside you that like, this is a movement. We're all in this together. It's not pretty. It's not always pretty with daffodils and sunflowers everywhere. Sometimes it's just like fire everywhere, <laughs> fury, but like we're all in it together. And yeah, I, I, there's a whole bunch that needs to be fixed. <sighs> That's my answer. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think you touched on a really important point here where it's this distinction between these there's like the deep-rooted systemic issues in <clears throat> academia and that and I also agree when a lot of these wellness resources are saying do yoga bring puppies which can be a great form of self-care but doesn't address these deep-rooted systemic issues that are making it really difficult to prioritize our mental health in the first place so in in your opinion, what are some of the systemic or what are some problems in the system that make yoga or puppies not enough? So I touched on this yesterday when I talked about self-care and the Instagram takeover. I was like, self-care is great. And like, here are some things I do. This works for me and self-care. We can talk about this later, but like, you know, self-care is different for everyone. But I made it very clear. Self-care does not heal me. Self-care does not always work. There's moments where I do self-care and like I feel shittier than I was, sorry for my French, than I was feeling before. Um, and I don't think a lot of people realize that like, oh, like bringing a puppy, that'll make me, if I'm feeling, if I'm having a really bad day and I see a puppy, like that'll make me happy for five minutes. And then after that, it just, whoop, <laughs> like down, down the rabbit hole again. Um, and so, so when it comes to systemic issues, I really don't think people understand mental health and disability at all. Not all people, but a lot of people really don't understand what that, why that should be important and what to do. And I mean, I think it just starts with a lot of people leading these initiatives, you know, I, or, from what I've seen, you know, they're trying, you know, to advocate for mental health and accessibility, but a lot of times there's not a lot of diversity or inclusion of the mental health and disabled communities when it comes to having these initiatives on the systemic level. Um, like for an example, I've seen a lot of like DEI initiatives that are focusing on other groups, but then they don't even touch on the disabled community. And I'm like, like the disabled community is like right here. Like, hello, like we're really diverse. Like, hey, like the system wasn't built for us either. And I just, I don't think a lot of people understand that, you know, the mental health and disabled community 
help make academia diverse and um, make it be beautiful the way it is. I could, I have a lot of talk about this and, you know, um, just people aren't educated and that's just the cult. The culture has been like this in academia for so long for generations and generations. It, you know, those little things just aren't gonna cut it. We need something big and drastic to finally turn in the right direction. And a lot of it's just because people won't listen to, you know, a lot of DEI initiatives and advocates. And that's, I think for me, the hardest part is we're, we're shouting like, we're shouting like, hey, like these issues are huge and a lot of times we're either ignored or we get the trolls on Twitter coming in. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, sorry, that was also a very long answer. It's complicated. It's really complicated. Like from the little ableist comments to just huge systemic departmental, institutional, huge systemic things, it's just, It's complicated. It, it is. It's complicated. It's it's difficult and it can be exhausting to fight these yes. systems in place that aren't made to support everyone. And I think in previous grad chats, we've talked about themes of how academia is really made for people who look a certain way. And that is something that absolutely has to change. You know, we got to bring more, more exposure to different aspects of what it means to advocate for DEI stuff. And with that, one of the questions in the chat says, do you have any advice on concrete steps that graduate students, disability offices, and professors can take? Listen to the community. Don't speak over, like, uh, yeah, it was the question, like, how, like, offices and, like, professors and faculty, like, can, can you ask the question again? So I want to make sure I'm answering it correctly. Yeah, it, it sounds like what, uh, what advice can either, you can be a grad student, you can be the disability office or professors, what can anyone interested in engaging with this advocacy, what steps can they take? So like, okay, I, I can answer it from like two perspectives. Allies, I'll start with allies. Listen to our communities. Don't speak over us. Amplify us. Very short, very sweet, like, please do not speak over our community. That's basically just like what I'm asking. Just please amplify us. Like, thank you. <laughs> and then, oh gosh, the other end, um, I guess those who are in the community and are either pursuing or considering academia or in academia. Um, I think I just want to iterate like, advocacy isn't, our job 24-7. Like we are not getting paid to do advocacy most of the time. Um 
I've been doing this for a while and I am just now in some context being compensated for my advocacy and like I'm still like it it's not our job okay like so it's okay to take a step back and take care of yourself like I've had to tell myself this and I still struggle with this and I still have to remind myself this but like advocacy isn't our job like it's okay to just take a step back take care of yourself and do what you need to do and um I hope that answers the question like um you know like I've said finding that community is so important but like I I don't want you to feel and I still struggle with this too to feel burdened to constantly just be fanning the fire to keep it going like it's okay to rest it's it's not it's not our job it should it should not have to be this way. Like we shouldn't even be having to do this in the first place, but the system is just so broken that we have to. And I'm sorry that the system is failing all of us. And sometimes it sucks, but yeah, like it's not our job and it's okay to just take a step back a bit. Does that answer the question? I kind of tried to answer it in both ends. Um, Yeah, I think you brought together two really important points. One, listen to the people who are voicing their experiences and advocating for this stuff. And two, if you're trying to be an ally, be mindful that it, it is an extra burden, ultimately, for people to bring up or advocate for these things and oftentimes be unpaid for it and uncompensated for it. So the two things I'm hearing are listen if people share their story and to educate yourself and don't, you know, burden others to do that work for you. And I think those are super important key takeaways. Let's see, we are running out of time for this grad chat, but Ariana, if there's anything else you want to say that we didn't bring up yet during our chat, anything that comes to mind that you want to share with our audience. Um, you know, things may look great on paper, right? But that's not always the entire story. And so I hope from today that you've learned that, you know, everyone's different (laughs) in their own beautiful and unique way. And that you've learned something about um, the importance of mental health and disability advocacy in academia. Um, To all of my friends who are not part of the disabled community, um, who aren't struggling with their mental health right now, I just want to reiterate that like, although you're not experiencing these things right now, to remind you that the system's really broken and disproportionately affecting a lot of marginalized groups of people. And so um, like, thank you for being here to educate yourself. That's awesome. But like, I just also wanna remind people of that and um, to be mindful of these communities and to listen, to educate yourself, um, to amplify these voices. And this is such a privilege. Thank you so much for inviting me to be out here today. It was so great to talk about um, advocacy with mental health and disability and STEM. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. This was this was awesome. 
And thank you again, Ariana, for being with us today. I think we touched upon so many great topics when it comes to disability advocacy in STEM. So this has been Grad Chat from PhD Balance, and we go live every Saturday, 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. So if you enjoyed our conversation today, subscribe to our YouTube channel to get notifications about when we go live. So thank you again, Ariana, for being our guest today and being so amazing and rollable and just keep powering through all that amazing advocacy that you do. Thank you. It's so fun. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Make sure to tune in next time.